welcome to Michigan HockeyCast 5.12, where we have also decided to run it back next fall. Friday game at Yoast, friend of the podcast and fellow Yoast press boxer, Peter, our our buddy Peter, was talking to me about ways that he would fix NHL overtime. Are you are are you in on the the overtime? Like, did you like it when they went to three on three? Yes. Okay, because it was better than the previous. Better than four on four. But was it ever four on four? Yeah. For how long? Uh, A while. Really? Yeah. Before they went to three on three, it was four on four. Huh. Okay. Anyway, it has changed probably in the last few years, right? Just from a stylistic sense of now you don't take a shot unless it's basically a grade A opportunity and you just cycle back out, you know, of of the zone and then change guys and whatever. It has, do you think that has ruined overtimes? Uh, well, it depends on which team you watch. <laughs> okay. Because a lot of the overtimes I watch, that doesn't happen. Then I watch some other teams and I'm like, oh man, this is horrible. Do you think that is more common throughout the NHL, though? I, I do think so, probably, because okay. the lesser-skilled teams are not going to be doing that, whereas the higher-skilled teams tend to just want to play Firewagon and get it over with. Um, you know, I like the shot clock idea. Um, oh, like if you—so you actually have to— but So the, McDavid said over the weekend he wants 10 minutes, 5-on-5, five five with a shot clock and no shootout. And ten minutes of five on five. Well, up to ten minutes. Oh, okay. As a way to just make it, if there's no shootout, and then you put in a shot clock, and well, ten. I mean, five on five for the Oilers is basically like three on three for everybody else, right? Well, so the argument would be you do ten minutes of three on joke. three, right? And then you do uh, a shot clock to just you know speed it up. But basically, the idea is that we just do dueling two on ones or three on twos or whatever. Until someone scored. Yeah. And ideally, within three, four minutes of that, someone will score. Okay. So you get it over with. So one of Peter's ideas is no over and back. Yeah. yeah. So I've, once... heard, I've heard that one, too. All right. I like... do, you, do you like that one? Yeah. Would you implement that tomorrow? I mean... Sure. It, you would have no issue if that took place. I mean, it's all this just problem of that no one wants ties, because uh, ties make everyone sad. And then... <laughs> or everyone neutral. Right? That's the... Losing is sad. The old saying that compromise leaves everyone unhappy because no one got well, what sure. they wanted. So okay. same thing with a tie, same principle. Yeah. And so we said, okay, we don't want ties, but the problem is all of our other solutions are not perfect. And so no one liked four on four. Yeah. The shootout has jumped the shark a long time ago, and no one likes that anymore. <laughs> People and aren't even good at it anymore. They ran out of ideas. Those first three, four years of the shootout were really good. Um, Just because people had new moves? Yeah, and, you, and was, you never see penalty shots. Yeah, and then like I mean, you know, like they banned the the spinorama that Todd Bertuzzi used to do, and that was because the puck goes backwards. Because the puck goes backwards, yeah. that sucked. Just let him do it. <laughs> it's a lot better than someone just shooting, skating in, and shooting it right into the belly of the goaltender. What if you have like eight seconds and can take as many shots as you want, <laughs> <laughs> unless the goalie catches it? Um, the problem was that 
I mean, even within the last three or four years of Datsuk's career, like he was out of ideas. I mean, he was like the best shootout guy in the world for well, those first four or five years, and then he was out of ideas by the end. There, there's only so many things you can actually do, right? <laughs> like, there's an infinite. Oh yeah, like I mean, because at the beginning, everyone was trying something new, right? So like Datsuk did the, uh, the one where he deep the goalie way out and then dropped it in, and he did the the flip up in the air while the goalie's on his back and it flutters in. Like there was so much cool stuff those first few years, and then people yeah. ran out of ideas. Also, there just aren't enough skilled players in the league that can execute the kind of super high skill maneuvers that you need to do. Okay, so the other thing that Peter said, and and this would be uh, probably would never happen because it's too radical, but what if you did the shootout before the game? <laughs> so then it's been decided, and then now in overtime you actually, certain teams have to play different ways because you're like, well, we're not just going to sit here and play for a shootout because we already lost it. So now we have to like push and try to score. That's uh, an interesting idea. And that would be kind of like a... Remember when the XFL, well, you were too young, but remember when the XFL did the thing for the coin toss where the two guys ran at each other and tried to recover the ball? I've heard about it. That would be a really great way to start a hockey game, wouldn't it be? Just like, it would make sure people are there on time because all all of a sudden you're going to miss the shootout. What is your thought on the... <laughs> you're not going to comment. What is your thought on the loser point? Because this is a, on this topic. Well, is I think it, it makes people more aggressive. I hear about all the time that like how mad, how mad people are that... Like it, they, you know, both teams can go to overtime and both get a point. I mean, it's point inflation, so probably it's not necessarily realistic or or good. I I would say or earned. I don't know. However you want to phrase it, but like it does make teams more aggressive because now if you like, if you 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 actually you'd actually try to win, right? Because you wouldn't. Most teams aren't going to just sit back and yeah. Unless again, you're one of the teams that wants to make it to a shootout. But again, if you did it before the game. And you couldn't do that either. There was one game I was watching uh, maybe a couple months ago where the two teams spent the final minute of regulation just against the boards, just jamming away at the puck for like a full minute. <laughs> where the refs like move it, and so then the one well, team so moves it. Well, so the thing that's fascinating about that is if you watch old-time hockey, they used to blow the whistle so fast on that sort of stuff. Mm. Like literally all you had to do was – if, if the puck was along the boards and you skated up to it and you just pressed your skate horizontally against it, pressing it up against the boards, one, two seconds, boom, whistle blows. It's a face-off. So why did they stop? And like you, and this was the same thing. Like you took a shot and you blocked the shot and you fell down on top of the puck. Boom, whistle came right away. Like I mean, It didn't matter. Like They would stop it so quickly. And now they'll stand there for 15 seconds while the two teams are just like breaking you know, a guy's ribs with just, their stick. Sh- yeah. So why did they away. stop? I don't know exactly. I'd have to trace when the rule change was. I assume it came post-lockout, um, but mm. I see it more in, like, the 70s and 80s. I mean, it might have gone away in the 90s at some point. I'd have to try to trace when it was, but that is, like, one. That and the fact that they used to do face-offs at just random spots, and the power <laughs> plays used to start wherever the penalty was and not in the offensive zone. Um, well, that is more to Like, all that stuff is when you— when, Like, that was the first thing when I started watching old-time hockey that was— the most startling. So they don't, I mean, I assume that they, they don't want more stoppages, which is why they don't do that. Yes, but they, they need to blow that more quickly. If the two teams are just jamming away on the boards for more than eight or ten seconds. Especially at the end the, of a game, just right? Just blow the whistle. But the point about the thing about them in the, on the boards at the end of the game was that they just wanted to both get the point. So they just <laughs> pressed it up against the boards till time was over. Which, by the way, is what the Raiders and Chargers should have done in that game. Remember that last year where if well, they both but, tied, they made the playoffs? Yeah, but the Raiders wanted to eliminate the Chargers. Yeah, but they should have just... Anyway, 
Nah. <laughs> well, I don't care if that's what you want. You should have done something different. I mean, what? I mean, they should have just shaken isn't that hands the whole? And I mean, that's what the Lions could have done, but they wanted to beat the Packers. You know my crusade about uh, about uh, about ties in the NFL. So I'm you. You want a I minimum want number? No, I want no ties, and so that's why if the Raiders should and Chargers, we order no tie or? <laughs> If the Raiders and Chargers had deliberately tied, it would have forced the NFL to do something about ties, which is why I wanted it to happen. But anyway, <laughs> point is, I hear all these arguments about loser points and how it's bad and like it, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. I've, I've, I've never <laughs> watched the take. NFL and thought, or the NHL and thought, the issue is the loser point. I don't know. It's just not anything that's occurred to me. But all these people are like, oh, these teams, they make the playoffs with 15 o- overtime losses because they just get to overtime a lot. And they're, you know, 35, 25, and 15 or whatever. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Well, the, that, that isn't, that's only going to be fixed if you have fewer teams in the playoffs. But it yeah, seems I don't that know. if you look at across the sports. people talk about the 3-2-1 idea, three for, you know, regulation, well, one, like two what, for. I mean, that's what the. Well, Big Ten started, and now more. Well, no, a lot of college hockey doesn't even do that, but the Big Ten does it. And you don't like it? It just—I don't know. You know what? What skill in winning regulation games does not need to be rewarded in the standings. You know where it gets rewarded? The playoffs, because okay. there is no loser point in the playoffs. Uh, that's true. And there is no uh, skill for three on three, right? You saw this last year. Panther, oh. Panthers were what eleven and two and three on three last year, thirteen and two, something crazy. <laughs> Guess what? Didn't help them in the playoffs. Surprising lack of three-on-three in playoff games. That's the point. If you inflate your point total and you kill it in three-on-three, or you inflate your point total because you just go to overtime a million times and lose, it boosts you in the standings. But who cares? You get wiped away in the playoffs. If you can't win regulation games, you have to win regulation games in the playoffs because it's always five-on-five. So, like, it doesn't matter to me. The the skill people want to be rewarded by the standings will ultimately be rewarded by the playoffs. So who cares? It feels like these regular season games are there for entertainment and people fi- originally maybe some do still find that three on three is entertaining or shootouts are entertaining i've watched some awesome three on three it just comes down to the two teams agreeing they're actually going to play and but do you want your team in that game that's no? where a shot clock comes into factor because well, then yeah. you have to trade chances and you have to yeah, know, or go and and really play. I mean, that's, that's or, what I've or always the, said. Or or the one maybe one maybe like Peter's idea of like the red line or someone else's idea. But even what if it was the blue line? Like you can't just circle back. Yeah, like if you yeah. circle back out, those are all these the I mean, over. that's the thing though. It's like okay, you just hog possession to look for this one chance that may not come. Then you go to a shootout. A shootout is just a coin flip anyway. If we get into an odd man rush. You know, just fire wagon sequence that lasts for 90 seconds while the two teams trade two-on-ones and eventually someone scores. How is that any better or worse than going to a shootout, which is just the epitome of randomness? It's kind of the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Just get it over with. Well, you got things to do? <laughs> <laughs> you got to move on with your life? Maybe we should move on to talking about game one. Or do you want to just fast forward through that one and just go right to game two? No, I no. there were interesting things about game one. Do you have a one-word summary of game one? Um, it was bad. I, <laughs> <laughs> it was, That's what I was teeing you up for. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the first period actually wasn't as terrible. Uh, it was... In some sense, it's more of a special teams period. I mean, besides the giving up 23 shots or whatever part. Well, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, this is sort of the 
the part of the game or the first the first half of the game is where you know Portillo sort of shined before eventually the dam just broke. But um, Michigan took an early power play that they or or penalty kill. Uh, Michigan took an early penalty. There you go. And Ohio State had a power play that they probably should have scored on as they missed like two open nets. One of them like hits the side of the net as Portillo's down, and the other one just I think goes wide. Um, and so you're kind of like, oh, they got away with that. Um, then Michigan may also gets one of their best five on five chances of the night right after that as they get a three on two and Fantilli who, you know, didn't have his best series. Uh, he ended up with a couple of points the next night, but, um, there were not a lot of plays that you saw him or, or he stood out and you're like, oh, wow. You know, there's, there's Adam Fantilli. Um, but this was probably one of his more, Probably his highest danger chance of the of the weekend is he kind of walked down the slot and just ripped one high and he had he was pretty much in on Dobish but skied it and and couldn't Michigan couldn't take advantage of that. Um, and yeah, you said about the shots like the shots were what eight to one and then ten to one and you're just like wait a minute. Uh, like I thought I thought Ohio State wasn't a bad team but they kind of looked a little rocky as the first as the first half kind of came to a close. And then they had that really good series against Michigan State last weekend where they put up a ton of goals and gave up almost none. And then I guess I wasn't expecting like them to just boat race Michigan in game one. Well, part of it, and really the story of this game, is the schematic uh, standpoint yeah. to it. And so, you know, I haven't watched Ohio State early this year prior to that. Because um, we haven't played them, probably. haven't played them. Um and so I don't know if this is how they're playing this year, but I suspect not because that's not how they normally play it. But, you know, this game was a really interesting game plan from them. And, you know, there's different aspects that we'll get into later. But from the shot standpoint, they were just shooting from everywhere and anywhere on the ice. I mean, they were not... Do you think they saw something in terms of Portillo's rebound control? Yes, or yes, no he doubt. hasn't tracked the puck as well as maybe last year? So the big thing about it is that if you're going to go hard with your uh, forechecking pressure, which they were, you know, and you're going to be deep in the corners and things like that and trying to win these battles, then when a goalie is giving up the kinds of rebounds Portillo is, you know, that complements your strategy because mm-hmm. it's going to kick the, you know, if you just watch this, I mean, Portillo made a lot of saves in this game, no question about that. The problem is that in a lot of these saves he makes, the rebounds, again, are just such a problem because not necessarily that they're bouncing to Ohio State players for chances, but they were bouncing back far enough for them to recover and just keep cycling. Mm. And so you get these shots from the point, from the wing, and, I mean, they come in on Portillo and they just bounce straight to the boards on the other side, just rocketing off of him. And then there's an Ohio State player that's there, and so you just shoot, 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 and they're winning all these retrieval battles and getting these big rebounds to keep retrieving. And so... They're just putting, you know, there'd be 45-second sequences where they put four or five shots on goal, and that's how you run up the shot counter is they're just shooting all the time. So it's a little like taking threes in basketball and getting a lot of long rebounds? Basically, yes. Well, that was that was personified uh, to a T in the, in, the, in the early second period, but um, Michigan actually gets a lead. They get their second power play of the game uh, probably midway through first period and Dylan Duke um, gets a deflection off of a TJ Hughes shot who actually worked pretty well to get open got into the house and ripped one and and Duke tipped it in to go up 1-0. One thing that I thought that they did that was interesting 
was um, on one of their first two power plays, they had, you know, they do the drop slingshot play to enter the zone. Like, yep. I mean, most teams with any sort of a skill player will do that. They had two guys, like, not staggered, but they kind of shot up the ice simultaneously. Had you ever seen a team do that before? I hadn't seen it, and I, I noticed it, and I, was, I thought it was interesting. I don't recall it, but... Can you see, or can you think of, like, why that would be helpful or maybe they were just trying it i don't They're know probably just trying something like, out yeah. let's see if this works yeah because a lot of times you stack guys along the blue line and then you have one guy enter right but this time they had two guys rocketing forward and maybe i guess you could get a pass from one to the other that would be the idea that would come to mind at least it would just be kind of dangerous though because then you would you can get intercepted you would yeah. be giving up a breakaway but anyway i thought that was worth at least discussing so michigan's up one zero and then they take their second penalty, and Ohio State gets their second power play. I thought um, this one was a little bit better to start, but um, I wasn't really sure what they were trying to do because as the as the power play progressed, because uh, Gilden was just off the left post, and Truscott, who obviously is that side of the defenseman, um, takes the slot guy, but doesn't go down to the puck. And I know that like Michigan doesn't mind when teams shoot from, you know, below the dot, not just on a power play, but in general, because Portillo takes up so much space that if he takes away that those angles, he's just he's just so massive that it you I don't even know if there are places to shoot. I mean, they did that a lot last year and they've done it more this year too. But in this case they just ignore him and he just kind of bangs the puck off of Portillo's pads in front and uh Trailor Trailor? Trailor. Trailor comes down the other side and just taps it into the open net. And I, I get why you want to tie up a guy in the slot. It's never a good time when you there's a guy wide open in the slot on a power play. But it feels like in those situations you'd want the defenseman to crash down to the guy who's down near the net and have one of the forwards take the guy uh, in the I slot. I mean, it's but. more that Truscott's in no man's land. I mean, they, But wasn't you... he sort of staying up towards, from my memory, maybe you're... Maybe you have a different. I mean, he he just doesn't really do either thing that's very helpful here because <laughs> well, he doesn't really come quite down low. But I would say he does more against the shooter on the side than he does on the guy cutting. I mean, the central problem here is the fact that the uh, Trelor cuts back door, and there isn't a ton being done. I mean, it's you you basically have a two on one down low. I mean, that's the essence of what's going on here. And you've then got three other Michigan players, Hughes. Uh, that looks like Granowitz and Moyle. Uh, yeah, they were on. They're all sort of a little bit higher, and they're not really doing anything, and they're just watching as it's a two-on-one two down low. And, you I know, just, Trescott's caught kind of in the middle. I mean, I wouldn't really put it on Trescott. I, you know, there just needs to be more bodies down there when you've got two Ohio State players low. I mean... Yeah, you, you, you can't take away the guys on the perimeter and leave people alone down in the house yeah i mean yeah that was (laughs) i mean you just that's why people pack that area right and if you can rifle a shot from distance it's well okay good for you i guess but we're not giving you an open shot from six feet yeah i mean it's just a breakdown on the on the penalty kill so one one after one um you didn't really like the kill as much but at that and and there were a lot of shots for Ohio State but at this point you're kind of like okay well they need to regroup a little bit this is their first game back in well over a month so a little bit of rust but then the situation you were describing of where Michigan just can't get out of their zone and 
some of it is, I think, what you were talking about where with long rebounds and then offensive rebounds and cycling the puck. The other thing is that Michigan just could not they, – they tried to skate out of the zone a lot of times, and you can't do that against a heavy forecheck. It's, it's sort of like getting a full-court press in basketball, right, where, I mean – it's very hard to dribble out of those situations. You need quick passes. You need guys back in. You need to hit the right passes. And if you break the press, I mean, you have a, an odd man rush or, you know, breakaway or, you know, basically layups at the other end. But they didn't do that very well or, or pretty much at all on Friday. No, the I definitely think at least to start the game and maybe the whole game that Ohio State had an advantage in their their legs and their readiness to kind of play this game because... You know, they had a Big Ten series last week. Uh, they played, again, over Christmas, I think, somewhere in there. I think they played Bowling Green some, yeah, one it was of those weekends. mid-December, but yeah. yeah. So the point is, they've played a lot more games recently than uh, Michigan has. Michigan had been off for a month. They played the NTDP last week, but that is not a real game. It does not have... And their player, they had six players to play in juniors. So it's yeah. not like guys didn't play games. No, but, but as a team, correct. they have not played a real game with real intensity since... Uh, basically a month, and Ohio State had played many more times, including two real games the preceding weekend. So they had a little more jump early on, and that really aided what they were trying to do in this game. So you have a ton of aggressive on-puck pressure, and basically whenever Michigan got it, they send at least one uh, four-checker straight at him, just coming to get it as soon as possible, not taking away passes, just going straight for on-puck pressure, and then you have hard pinching everywhere else and so I mean it was just very interesting schematically to watch because I mean offensive zone four check you dump it in you know they're sending uh, f1 deep in the zone if Michigan's getting set up to try and break it out right there's a defenseman standing behind the net waiting for the outlet pass they're sending f1 behind the net to flush the guy out which usually doesn't happen not too often but it, it you know it's a thing that coaches can have in their toolbox to throw out yeah. there so they've got that going on. Then you've got F2, F3 going hard down the wall, normally face-off dots or lower in the zone to take away the first passes. And then even when they're set up in their neutral zone for a check, you had the defenseman pinching hard at the blue line to try to turn it over in the neutral zone and then get it back going the other way. So it's just a pressure cooker. And in the zone, it's creating all kinds of problems. Michigan gets right to it. All of a sudden, there's one guy on you. There's one guy taking away the first outlet pass. And Michigan's like, whoa and (laughs) trying to figure out what to do in that situation. And it's set up perfectly to counteract what some of Michigan's tendencies are. And so Michigan has this desire to have the defensemen do a lot of the work deep in the zone in facilitating breakouts, uh, particularly skating them out, you know, controlled exits with the defensemen doing a lot of the legwork. And you have these defensemen that are just, you know, factually are small defensemen yeah and you know you have casey and edwards who are both short and light you've got and those are the ones that are doing the skating a lot of you're them. not having well you also got hughes who's tall but also very skinny right and so you just don't have a lot of heavy defensemen and even i don't remember who was in the lineup saturday night but or friday night it was either Karen or, or luca fantilli i mean both of those guys yeah are very skinny defensemen right. like they don't have you know this isn't chris pronger we're talking about right that in terms of that would be cool if they had Chris Pronger. Yeah, or just you know like a you know Brent Seabrook or Jake Muzzin, like a you know just a big dude that you know is a horse to try and and move. But these guys are smaller guys. Yeah. And Ohio State, you know, their mo under Chris Rollick has been or Chris Rollick, Steve Rollick, uh, 
has been to hit you, right, and to beat you up. And they were still doing quite a bit of that. And so they have bigger bodies. Well, you do and, that when you forecheck. Right. And so they're going in hard, and, you know, they're hitting these guys real fast. And Michigan's defensemen are the type that can be separated from the puck yeah. easily enough. And so Michigan's like, oh, we got to try to skate it out. And there's just too much pressure. And Michigan was a little late to adapt. And I think what they needed to figure out was, okay, you get the puck. First thing you got to do is... As soon as you touch it, know where you're going with it. Knowing you cannot skate out with it and knowing where you're going to go. And you got to just focus on all those kind of stuff that Michigan, you know, in theory doesn't want to do. Yeah. You know, you know, chips up the wall, rims to the far side, um, just quick D to D and like all of those kinds of passes uh, that, you know, Nerado has built this system and existed under Mel that that isn't exactly what Michigan wants to do because, Statistically speaking, you know, it'd be great if all of your defensemen could be Bobby Orr. And the moment they touch the puck, it's an odd man rush going the other way because they just fly out of the zone. And Michigan at times have been able to do that with yeah. with the Luke Hughes types and things like that. And and savvy internet people, which is Brandon Narado's background, this is the kind of way they want teams to play, and there's a lot of advantages to it. But this is the kind of thing that, you know, Rolick looks at the tape and cooks up as the way, as the antidote. And until Michigan shows the ability to change kind of what they're going to do and to hit back a little bit. Because especially if you chip up the wall and you got a defense hard pinching down to try to hold it in, you get it over them, now all of a sudden you can have a potential rush, especially if you've yeah. got someone. Um, well, with all the Michigan speed. Right. So they were just a little late to figure that out, and I think not having their legs early in this game hurt especially in trying to deal with that. Well, it was also the perfectly timed game plan, like what, yeah. what we had just discussed with – you know, Michigan not having played together in a while. So you're just sort of getting back into it. And then all of a sudden you're hit with this tidal wave of pressure and you don't, you're, and they just weren't very crisp either. I thought they were much more crisp on Saturday just with basics passes. Well, and what then happens when you get later into the game is uh, Michigan starts to fall down deep in their zone and, they don't have a lot of puck pressure high, and that leads to both the second and the third goal. Second goal, you've got three guys deep in the zone. Uh, Your two forwards decently high, but still three guys down around the net, and it creates this middle space that they then use a diagonal pass on to set up yeah. the shooter on the far side. And the third goal, you have it's a slap shot from the point, and the crucial thing is it's my favorite kind of slap shot. It's a low to high pass with the defenseman skating downhill into the shot. Yeah, so I he... love those. And you know, there's been some power plays around the league in the NHL that have been trying to experiment with setting up those kinds of slap shots, as mm-hmm. opposed to just you know the defenseman has it at the point and is skating laterally and then just winds up. Instead, you get the pass going low to high, and then the momentum of the guy skating downhill into it. Yeah, and then I mean that situation, if it's in the wheelhouse, they can just jackhammer and i mean it's, it can go like, it's like a rebound in soccer that rolls out of the 18 and guy comes in from off the screen and just like <laughs> unloads a bazooka yeah. yeah and so and but normally you're only able to get that kind of shot on a power play situation so you watch this it's a five on five goal but it looks like a power play because michigan's got four guys below the faceoff dot like deep in the zone while there's still two defensemen high it's not like everyone was down in the corner right there's no one they're up just high lost up. there's no one up high anymore because they're so uh, worried about losing those battles in the corners and getting beat down low. And so that allows, you know, these next two goals to happen. And so the point is all that pressure just completely, Michigan had no idea what to do and just got, 
you know, really discombobulated. It was like the antithesis of the second half of the football game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got through the – so it was 3-1, to one, like you said. Um, halfway through the game, shots were 39-9. to nine, And I said to Zook, who sits a few seats down from me, I was like, is Ohio State going to get 80 shots? <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of, like – you you mentioned you messaged me and then he ended up bringing up the same thing of where like um Carolina got what like seven sixty high sixty Carolina or seventy had sixty seven shots yeah in regulation the other, on Nashville and like they, a week they ago. lost <laughs> they <laughs> well, scored that's... they scored three goals Saros saved sixty four to sixty seven and by the way the Carolina system is is exactly what <laughs> Ohio State's doing in this game just it's turning exactly you over what the Hurricanes and, do yeah. they are a shoot and retrieve cycle team that shoots from anywhere and everywhere. Same system. So you're just, but but thirty nine to nine. I just I I mean it almost didn't seem. I don't know. Maybe I'd been to Yost in a while, and so I just hadn't adjusted. But it just didn't seem real. Like <laughs> like I never like that is. I mean, Michigan has had some overwhelming games where they've played against other teams that are just not very good, and I don't think they've had that sort of. So I don't. Well, you have to get this on. We just mentioned sixty four out of sixty seven saves. Kraken had six goals on seven shots on Saturday. Just want to get that one on the record. If that's efficient, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's three to one. Uh, Michigan does get a um, a power play after that. Um, they can't do much with it. T.J. Hughes has has a chance in tight, but um, it just just wasn't going their way. And then. Um, Oh, you had the Hallam penalty where he's coming back where he's in the offensive zone, has a decent look from up high, swings and misses on the puck, and it comes out of the zone. So you get a two-on-one, but Hallam's able to run the guy down, takes the penalty. So Ohio State gets another one. It's their third. Um, And this was a shot. um, I don't know if it was as downhill as the Tyler Duke shot that you were describing for the third goal, but it was basically a... I don't know if it was a slap shot, but it was a wide open look from the opposite corner of the house. Uh, the first one was from the left. This one was from the right. And Wise just fired in to, to I think it was the top corner, to make it a 4-1 to one power play goal. And it's, I mean, at that point, it's not over, but you're just like, this is, I don't, I'm not seeing a real strong way back. That play... I mean, that play is like when Cade McNamara runs for 55 yards on you and scores a touchdown. Like, at that point, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in this game, but <laughs> this is not our night. Because, I mean, the it's just a sign of how well Ohio State's playing in this yeah. game. Because you have a puck battle in the corner. It, it squibs out to a forward standing in the face-off circle area. And he makes a no-look backhand pass across the zone to a guy on the far side. Like... <laughs> these undrafted like Ohio State is, guys is are, now, Johnson are, are back now. Johnson Well, no, it's like I mean, this is like a Gretzky pass, right? Yeah. Like eyes in the back of your head, but like what? Are you... Ohio State's doing this? <laughs> like, and at that point, it's just kind of like this is the night it is. Like they're really feeling it. They're in the groove, right? They just made you know nine straight three pointers, and there's just not much you can really do right now. We got hit in the mouth early, but also they're playing out of their minds when they're making those kinds of passes. TJ Hughes then took an offensive zone penalty, uh, not great, when it's 4-1, to one, and Ohio State gets another power play, it's their fourth, and Treylor, I'm, I'm not going to get, I feel like Brian, Treylor. Treylor has a shot from in the house, and he just finds a top corner, it looked like Portillo might have been a little bit screened, there was guys in front, um, this one makes it 5-1, to one, and it's just at that point, you're 
you think it's over, uh, but I, while I was taking a note, somehow Michigan scored, where I think it was a huge shot that grazed Fantilli on, like, the ensuing rush, comes off of Dobish and Duke taps in for a second goal. Making and that came, like, right after the goal. Yeah, I mean, they were they were kind of bang-bang, because you're like, wow, this is done, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they scored, and you're just... I mean, this that period was so hard to keep track of with all the penalties and all of the goals and all of like the the craziness that was going on the whole game was kind of like that third period there was just a bunch of like tussles and everything too and random penalties and everything but um so that's where we get to this is sort of like i mean it's five to two so it's not like michigan's on the verge but they had an opportunity because i think it was tyler duke that need i want to say it was hallam um and they review it, and it goes from a two-minute penalty to a five-minute, where he leaves the ice, and then they have to bring him back because, I don't know, he has to sit in the penalty box for 50 seconds, even though he can't come out under any circumstances. So everyone boos because they think he's been ejected, but he wasn't ejected. He just was going to the locker room and then had to come back and sit. And so Michigan now has an all-you-can-eat five-minute power play down 5-2. to two. And while I don't love their odds in this game... If they get a goal or two, which we've seen before this year, uh, it's five to three, five to four going into the third or, you know, with a few minutes in been played in the third. And now it's a different game. And, you know, when it also, I mean, as we've seen in many sports lately, when you have a lead and then you start to lose it, sometimes it's better to not be the team that's in the lead because the momentum is on your side and you just sort of overwhelm somebody. And... Yeah. So there, it's kind of a big point, and within seven seconds of an offensive zone faceoff on a five-on-four power play, they managed to give up a two-on-one shorthanded goal. Yeah, I mean, this was a—because, first of all, this was the knee-on-knee hit for the five-minute major, right. right? Which, you know, I was glad about that first time they've ever had a five-minute major that actually did something for player safety. Because <laughs> um, those— How I long mean, have you been waiting to say that one? <laughs> Those hits, I mean, I I've sounded off about that for a long time. Those hits are very very bad, yeah, and and need to be removed. But uh, I mean, this is another example of the pressure Ohio State was putting on Michigan. I mean, you know, they win a, a defensive zone draw on the on shorthanded, and then it's just like we're gonna get it, and we're just skating as fast as we can down the ice. And like, if you're not ready, like, uh oh, and just a situation Michigan gets caught in, and that was what Ohio State was doing all night long, which was just surprising Michigan with the amount. Uh, the way they were playing just balls to the wall for 60 minutes yeah. and playing all out all the time. And it just really uh, kind of caught Michigan flat-footed. And, Again. Um, you know, this was a situation to potentially get back into the game. But, you know, I will say it was late in the second period. Like, there was time. But um, to your point, I think contextually there's... Blowing leads, I think it really depends on what time the lead happens. Yeah. Just in general, like if we're referencing that Chargers game. Like I think or that, even the Michigan basketball game. <laughs> so the Michigan basketball game, that one is different because that is late in the game. Well, it's two minutes. My, yeah. opi- my opinion is that like when you get up three touchdowns in like the first quarter of a football game, it's actually very dangerous because yeah. you can lull yourself to sleep. Like yeah. same thing if you go up three nothing in a hockey game like ten minutes in. Yeah. Any time that you see you have a seemingly huge lead, but with like forty five minutes to play, yeah. that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, being up three goals in hockey with five minutes to go, that's not dangerous. Right. There's just not that much time and you can you can commit to it a lot earlier. So this is kind of in the middle. But Michigan was gifted this opportunity and then 
Ohio State surprises them again and, and scores a quick goal. And then at that point, it's like, well, this game's over. Yeah. Time to start cooking. Well, and that... <laughs> Were you having dinner at... Oh, I guess it was a little earlier. Uh, so it was, you like, it was like 8.15. 8 what did something. you make? Uh, that's not going to be shared on there. <laughs> you don't want to talk about your menu in the kitchen? <laughs> Come on. The viewers want to know. I was, viewers, I was looking... By the way, this is... On know. this topic. I was looking at a... Uh, a cookbook on Amazon last night, and to, to purchase one, uh, potentially. Okay, but the top review was, <laughs> I have 127 cookbooks, and this one's recipes are the best. Doesn't that seem like a lot of cookbooks? I don't know how you. I mean, cookbooks aren't one recipe, right? There's a lot of recipes yeah, like, within a cookbook, like a hundred. Okay, more. so how can you look at that many recipes? <laughs> I mean, if you. I just I mean, thought just the basic 127 is a lot of cookbooks. That's like a bookshelf. Maybe they're for different of, things. They might be. Like, but Pol- number one, like Polish like, food. Number one, that's like, number one, it, it's a lot of cookbooks. Number yeah. two, it's someone who very clearly is like categorizing these because that's a very specific number. Of <laughs> that is a very specific number. And they're, I'm guessing this is probably not their only review. Probably not. If you're going to count your cookbooks before they hatch. So. It's six to two with the shorthanded goal. Michigan is still has still four minutes on their all you can eat power play, uh, and then they don't because they take a too many men call yep. for yet another time this year. And that was a too many men call uh, that was like you have to call it right. Yeah, because like, they were like way in the zone. It wasn't like they just got caught. Like, all there six was, guys. There were like six guys. Yeah, it was like um, the uh, the seventy nine. Um, series between Boston and, and the Canadians when Boston took too many men with three minutes to go in game seven when they were up one goal. And the reason it got called, because referees did not want to call right. it at all. But They're like telling someone, but please it, get off the but ice. But it went on for like a minute. Like <laughs> they were just playing with six guys for like a long time. And the Montreal Forum crowd's just going crazy. And then finally they had to call it. Yeah. But like that's, this is what this was. Yeah. Like it, because the truth is if Michigan gets caught like, sloppy on a change like they probably don't call it it's a 62 game it's yeah. the third period but you can't have six guys in the defense yeah, we're down four like, goals guys we give us a shot here <laughs> so that's not great and that's happened in my opinion too many times this year it was going to happen in the next game which we will reference in a few minutes but um they also don't really do anything on that power play either and no i mean i Again, I was not really watching the third period, but I had it on, and nothing of note was happening the, when I would look up, except for the... There's only two things really left to talk about, and one of them is uh, Michigan's on a power play, I believe, and Luke Hughes skates back into his zone, curls around, is starting to leave his zone, on an Ohio State player is chasing him. Whack guy gets like taps him on the hands three times, and after the third time, he takes about another step and then just Superman dives across the ice like he was sniped by a, a JFK bullet. And um, they call him for diving. And you know, we were kind of laughing and, and talking about it up in the box, but I didn't really have a problem with them calling him for diving. But I get his point where okay, he just hit me three times. How can you call me for that when you're not going to call one of the slashes? It's not, now they weren't like windups, but they were in open ice where the guy is in complete trail position and he hits him. I mean, it, that is what a slash is, and so I'm not saying that those need to be called. 
If you don't call those, then let Luke Hughes slide into oblivion and never come back, and then just let the whole thing go. Yeah, I mean, the diving calls, they're so just random. I mean, they they just... They don't make a lot of sense, and it was clearly a dive. It was a dive, but like, it, it wasn't it's close. Just, it's just when does it happen? I don't know. Whenever they feel like calling it, <laughs> I guess there isn't really a, a standard a rhyme or reason. Uh, and then after that, four on four ends, and Ohio State gets a their shortened power play. I guess they somehow get a two on zero <laughs> against Portillo and score. It was this one was Stephen Halliday. To make it seven to two, and I think that's when the note taking ceased completely because uh, it would. There were fights and there were. Yeah, I don't. I don't were... quite remember how the two on zero happened, but you had a guy fall down. But why were all four Michigan penalty killers in the offensive zone? Well, it was four on. F- I mean, it was pretty. Mu- it, one of the guys might have been coming out of the box. It might have been just after that. I mean, it was. It wasn't. Usually, you don't have n- zero people in your own end when you're on the kill i mean it's 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 six to it was two. a very it was a very but it it, play it encompassed a lot of the yeah. whole evening just like when casey tried to skate out from behind his own net and was ripped in front of his own goal and portola made a save it reminded me of the bordelow turnover last year where you're just like well all right this we're, we're done here i think and uh yeah seven to two um i mean i've been going to yost a lot longer than you have and that was probably the worst performance i'd ever seen Michigan give at home. There's probably a few that that are arguably up there too. And I'm not talking about when Michigan's not a good team and someone just comes and just blasts them. I'm talking about when Michigan has talent on the team, when they're you know arguably a top five, top ten team in the country, and they just get absolutely manhandled at home structurally. But also, you know, there were times when the effort level was uh, left a little to be desired. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a game where a lot of things went wrong, and you need to turn the page, but. It's also not a burn-the-tape game because a lot of what happened was very interesting and something to file away for the rest of the season. And some and things that, in some cases, when you face certain teams, need to be fixed. Yep. So we'll take a break and come back and talk about a happier game and then uh, some other games that don't involve Michigan. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. No stopping us now. I love that song. Whenever it comes on, it makes me feel strong. I thought I told you that we won't stop till we back cruising through Harlem. These old blocks is what made me, saved me, drove me crazy, drove me away, and embraced me, forgave me for all of my shortcomings. Welcome to my homecoming. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. A lot of fights, a lot of scars, a lot of bottles, a lot of cars, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Made it back, lost my dog. Miss you, bitch. But here I stand. A better man. Don't stop better man. Don't Thank you, Lord. I'm Thank you, Lord. I'm coming home. Did you follow the latest Canucks drama? No. That's why I have you in my life. 
I need to know these things. <laughs> they so they're now investigating themselves to figure <laughs> Who out. Are they Michigan? <laughs> to figure out what happened with Tanner Pearson, because Tanner Pearson, after the game on I think Friday, Quinn Hughes says, like, oh, the way they handled the uh, the Tanner Pearson injury that was not right. Like they mishandled that, and he said that in a press conference. And now everyone's like, oh, okay, well, what do you mean? And basically it was an injury that at the time they were like, oh, it's four weeks. And now they're like, oh, it's up for the year. And now it's like, oh, he might, he's just done. Like he may never play again. And no one knows exactly what happened. But Jim Rutherford announces we're doing an internal investigation to figure out what happened. He's the president of the team. How does he not know what happened? <laughs> what? Weren't you privy to this? How are you investigating? Like, so that number one is just very strange, and we don't know what happened in that situation when they're investigating. Now, <laughs> it leaks on Saturday night that they're going to be hiring Rick Tockett as their next coach, but they have to tell TNT four weeks in advance that they would like to hire him. So now Bruce Boudreaux has to coach for four weeks, knowing he's going to be fired <laughs> as soon as they can contractually fire him. <laughs> Well, he wouldn't have to be the coach. I mean, it could be an interim, right? Yes, but they're not. Pl- I mean, he could resign. I mean, if I was him, that's what I would do. But well, but then you right probably... now they're not going to fi- they're not going to fire him until Tockett is legally allowed to take over. But if you if you if you resign, you might not be entitled to certain benefits, right? Yeah, but he's on the last year of his deal, so I don't think he. Mm. I don't know. It, I mean, it's he's also old and probably has money. It is just such a profoundly. Sad, but also very funny. So we want Bedard to go there. Uh, well, he's the home he's a hometown kid, and he's the only guy. And he's who probably could, like GTM. <laughs> he's the only guy that could save that franchise from. Well, that's what we said about McDavid themselves. Well, I mean, he's gotten them into the third round of the playoffs. Don't think there's any other player that could have gotten them there. And I'm sure all Oilers fans are happy with that. It's just. I mean, now they're saying they're going to trade Bo Horvat, but the plan is they want players back in exchange. They don't want picks. They don't want prospects. They want win-now players. <laughs> Why would you trade Bo Horvat? It's like they are the team. Them and the Flyers are the two teams that are just the most completely unaware of where they are in the standings, where they are just overall, and like what the situation is. Because, like, every time you say the Flyers are a rebuilding team, you have to preface that by saying, well, they're a rebuilding team, but they don't know they're rebuilding. Like, they also Apparently, do- the GM does not know, and the owner does not know. They're also spending a lot of money and trading a lot of guys to rebuild. You know that meme where it's just the, the guy, and it says, does he know? Question mark. I do, what, what's the look on his face? I'll show you it. But you don't want to impersonate it? I was setting you up for your acting career. It's it's from like a Batman show, and it's the guy who was playing the Riddler, is my understanding. Oh. But okay. And anyway, that is the Flyers and Canucks. <laughs> like, do they know that they're like twenty seventh in the standings <laughs> and like fifteen points out of the playoffs? Do they know that their team is bad and like they don't really have much of a farm? Like, it's just. They're like, we're not planning to tank for Bedard. It's like, you're you're like fifth from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> we 
What? <laughs> you're almost there. <laughs> well, we're not tanking. Well, you're. Already... <laughs> they'd probably like trade the pick if they got it. I think something. the funniest thing is when a team is really, really bad, and they didn't intend to be really bad. Like you just wind up being at the bottom, and then. Is there anyone like that this year? Like that's that's the biggest difference between the Lions and Browns when they went on win sixteen, and why I'm still mad about that from the Browns' perspective, is the Browns were like we're going to be really bad. Like we want Miles oh. Garrett, we want a quarterback. We're we were rebuilding. The Lions were in year seven of a GM trying to make the playoffs when they went <laughs> on sixteen. That makes it so we, much more impressive. We accidentally tanked, <laughs> right? What? Like that. That makes it so much more impressive. Just showing people how good at your job when you're you are. trying to be when you're trying to be good and you're actually the worst. Okay, Alex, should we move on to happier times? Uh, sure. Well, too bad because that didn't happen until twenty second after twenty seconds into game two on Saturday. Well, it wasn't even night; it was afternoon. It was like a four thirty puck drop, which is great, by the way. I was like, "Hey, I'm home. Can I actually go." watch something at night, have a meal instead of it being at 11. Anyway, uh, so I think literally 18 seconds in, Luke Hughes, again, tries to skate out of his zone slash attempt a slight forward pass to Mackie Samuskevich to uh, get, you know, start a breakout. And it doesn't go well at all. And he's kind of ripped. The puck goes uh, down near the goal line where Thiessing grabs it and shoots it from a very odd angle. It hits, I think, Truscott's skate or his leg, and then somehow gets behind Portillo. And, I mean, it was basically like Friday had just continued into Saturday, and we've started again. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a situation where uh, he's, you know, being hounded from behind, and doesn't have as much time and space as he thinks he does, and it's turned over, and... Uh, I mean, it's kind of unlucky, isn't it? Not a great goal overall. <laughs> I mean, it banks in off a, off a defenseman in front. Yeah, it's just like kind of a, well, this is how it's going to go type thing, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of the same mistakes and uh, just kind of not what you want wanted to see and just after that though michigan almost gets it back as as dylan duke gets michigan's only odd man rush of the day he's in alone uh but finds dobish's logo on the in the front of his chest um and it's kind of like oh man you know you could almost erase that and so you know you have this bad start and then you kind of get one but um it's, it's a little bit deflating but um not too long until uh, Michigan has a nice little breakout, and they're going to have some space during a change. Uh, Fantilli has the puck, and he kind of drops it to Mackey, who swoops over towards the left side and then curls back in and just rings one off the far post and in. Um, just to, you know, I mean, that's the kind of shot that we've seen Sam Muscovich have for this the second year now. He's had a couple of those goals this year, had a number of them last year. Um, and it's just sort of a snipe that can change the game. And when you have a guy that can shoot like that, um, you don't always have to be playing the best hockey. You don't always have to have all of the right things go your way, but you just have a guy who can pinpoint something like that. Yeah, I mean, this isn't an NHL shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, Dobish would say he would want to have that one back, but as I, mean, I, as I always say, every great shot is also a goal, a goal he could have saved. So It's true, but when you... Two sides of the same coin. When you go... It's not, f- a, it's not a howler. 
But when, when you go far side off the post and in, like, I mean, that's just a really uh, yeah. Yep. A goalie from a goalie's perspective, I get it. It's on the eye of the beholder, but it but is a very good shot. We've seen goals go through people's legs. We've seen them be facing the wrong direction. We've seen them hit them in the wrong spots. This was not that. This was a well placed shot that if he makes the save, you're like, wow, that's a nice save. Yep. Yeah. So it's one one. Michigan gets it back, and you okay? We're back on level footing. Um, and then you know, as the period goes along. It's different. Michigan has sort of the shot advantage. They are able to create some chances. There are a couple penalties and power plays that happen in the first period, but the first period overall has a different feel. It's not one team tilting the ice and just sort of shoveling things in. I mean, Michigan is able to get out of their zone. They aren't sort of stuck. I mean, that was kind of the thing that you were worried about. If if Michigan, not just do they start bad with a, with a goofy goal like that, but is the, the same thing that killed them on Friday going to carry over to Saturday or are they going to be able to adjust because it is sort of a Michigan tendency of things they like to do that Ohio State took away and so can they find a way around that now maybe Ohio State can execute at a high enough level that you know or they did on Friday and they don't on Saturday type of a thing but Michigan didn't seem to have that be going against them they seem to be able to get the puck out a lot easier. They seem to be able to skate it and then create chances in the offensive end. Um, And, you know, that actually happened later on where they get a bunch of chances. Um, You know, Sam Muscovich and Casey get good looks down near the, uh, down near the goal. And then at the end of it, after a good, a decent shift, trust Scott, who, you know, to his credit came all the way down from defense and was right near the post and got a couple whacks in and jammed in a rebound to give Michigan a two to one lead and the game just had a very different feel even early on. Yeah. I mean, that's, you have a play along the wall, it comes down low and it's kind of a low two on one. Ohio state player comes in uh, a little bit late, but yeah, just jam on the side banks it in off the back of the goaltender. And uh, you know, that was a, a big feeling because Michigan, you know, never had a two to one lead in the, in the previous game and it allowed them to kind of, uh, consolidate uh, and really play with the lead, you know, and that's that's yeah. a big thing. Well, that's yeah, because when they can play with the lead, it's very different um, for them. That's just the style that they play, and and they can take more chances. Um, uh, I guess we didn't talk about the Edwards hit, and and the goal kind of comes in in a power play intermission, so to speak. Um, but previous to that, Edwards gets a contact to the head game misconduct. Um, nothing new to Michigan fans there. Uh, you were a little bit um, critical of Edwards on that one. No, I th- yeah, I thought this was a good call. Um, you know, I plays like that where you know you've got a hit to the head, but it's because one player is on their knees and the other player is not. Right, the Ohio State shooter goes onto one knee as as he shoots, uh, kind of bending down to shoot it. So whenever that happens, I always. <laughs> kind of say to myself like uh is that uh more on the player giving the hit or the more on the player receiving the hit because mm. you wait when you when you go lower and you lower your body you move that's the that's the essence of brian's argument against the baseball slide is that mm-hmm. when you kind of go lower you voluntarily move your head into the contact zone mm-hmm. and so when i first saw it i was like eh. and then i watched it again and you can really see that the ohio state shooter i think it was dunlap goes yes. uh low and there's a good 
two or three seconds before, you know, between the time that he starts to go on one knee and the time that Edwards hits him. That there was enough time for there to definitely be an adjustment. And there really wasn't an adjustment, and, uh, you know, he definitely does hit him in a way that uh, makes it clear where the point of contact is, all that sort of stuff. So I, I thought this was a good call. And the frustrating part of that is, you know, Edwards has been one of their, you know, top four defensemen all year, and now this was a game that they only dressed six defensemen. They have been yep. dressing kind of the Karen is going back and forth, um, but they did not do that. They went with 13 forwards. As Ciccolini played, he did not play on Friday. And now you're down to five defensemen, and Edwards is, you know, one of your sort of stalwarts there in the in those top four. Um. So, and now you got to kill a power play. And honestly, I was kind of thinking at this point, it was still one-on-one. I was like, if Michigan gets out of this with only giving up one goal, because the previous day, they had, I think Ohio State started four or five on the power play, or four, three or four, four or five on the power play before ending, I think, four of eight, which is still insane. You're just like, okay, if the if the penalty kill is not going to be much better than you know, this is, this is, they're, they're going to need a number of more goals and, and having five minutes, you know, it's just, that's just a tough situation. Um, but, uh, they started all right. And then Moyle gets the puck and kind of knifes his way to the net at the other end and gets taken down. And, you know, you get two minutes off of that. Yep. And that was when the Truscott goal happened is so on four on four, Michigan definitely, held control of the puck the most times they created chances and then gets they get the goal and so now even if they give one up in the last you know couple minutes two three minutes that they have left to kill um you know they've sort of made up for it already and they end up killing off uh the rest of that time um Portillo I think was pretty good during that stretch but you know Ohio State wasn't shooting guns blazing they didn't they didn't get a bunch of good looks I thought the power play got better as the night went on the first one was a little iffy um but uh, Michigan's had a much better night on the PK, including killing off this long major. Yeah, I mean, it was a big turning point moment in the game, killing off that kind of penalty, keeping the lead, and then going into a second where they played pretty decently in that second period and eventually end up stretching the lead further. Yeah, they actually took another penalty late in the in the first. A, a tr- Truscock um, had a tripping call that was a little soft, according to some folks around me. Um, but Michigan killed that off too. Yeah, and then, you know, the second period was sort of interesting because it sort of felt like Michigan had the better chances. When I went back and looked at the numbers, they didn't actually have that many shots. I think they missed the net a number of times. Um, and But Ohio State, I think, had better numbers in terms of shots on net and shots from the house. But I thought Michigan's chances were a little bit better. They just sort of went wide. Like Casey hit Fantilli in front, and it, I mean, I thought the puck was going in, but it, it just barely missed. Um, and then a redirect by Truscott again down low, um, and he couldn't get it in. Um, and then Luke Hughes just walked right into a puck, looked similar to the shots that you kind of like, and Dobish made another big save. That one was from a little bit further away. And then finally, you know, Michigan has a really nice shift towards the end of the second period where they hold the zone. It's their younger freshman line of McGordy, Brindley, and TJ Hughes. Just not like the it, – it wasn't sort of like those Beneers forever shifts where you just, you know, hit pass after pass and guys are like 
changing on the fly because you just have the puck in so long, but they just kind of pressured Ohio State enough, uh, got the puck up to the top, could get some shots. Truscott made a guy kind of miss and fired one in. It gets deflected out, uh, and Casey makes a nice backhand pass to get it back into the scrum, and Brindley's able to get a stick on it and lift it up and over Dobish into the net to make it 3-1, and that just felt really good because they kind of earned that in a number of ways. It also felt good because, I mean, Brindley, who is a potential draft pick coming up in the in the next draft, is sort of being talked about as a first-rounder, only has one goal on the year until this point. And for him to get that in a big situation coming back from juniors um, feels like it's a really nice start for him and that line uh, to start the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, that was a... A big goal to get to bump it up to a two-goal lead and start to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of closing the game out. You have Casey rotate down towards the net as Triscout's walking the blue line. I mean, that's classic you know, defense rotation down to the zone, the kind of modern hockey Michigan plays. I um, mean, Casey makes the, the, the great backhand pass to put it on the doorstep, and Brindley knifes it in. And we've been talking about him shooting 2% or whatever in the <laughs> first half and how that was not going to continue, so... Uh, starting the you know second half off on a on a nice foot this weekend. Yeah, so then in the third period, you know, Michigan's had a few different ways that they've approached third periods when they've had leads. You know, there's a couple times uh, in the last couple few years where they just have held the puck and they've kept it and created the chances and sort of not allowed other teams to really counter at all because they've just had the puck and 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 had it in the offensive zone. Then there are other times where they played slightly more defensive and other teams would get chances, but not good ones. And, you know, Portillo would be able to easily see it and and direct it aside or catch it or, you know, whatever. Um, And this was more of the second one. Not a whole lot happened through the first, you know, I don't know, six minutes, I would say. I had no notes until how they actually hit the inside of the near post um, and and it stayed out. It's 3-1, to one, so Michigan does have a goal to play with, but, um, you know, they're just being pretty defensively sound. They have no shots on net, which is not great, but they also have a two-goal lead and are not surrendering anything, and it's going to take kind of something special at this point to beat Portillo, um, and that comes probably halfway-ish through the period where they, you know, Ohio State made a couple really nice plays of getting into the zone, getting deep, and then moving the puck quickly to to sort of change angles, like, um, and they get it out to Lowry, who has a pretty much a one-time shot from the left point, and it looks like it kind of goes through a couple people. Um, It's low. I I thought maybe Portillo could have got his pad down on review. It, 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 It kind of stays low and he, he sort of has part of his leg off the ice uh, maybe he wants would like that back uh, to get it down but again there's a lot of people it's a quick pass of a change of side and you know those those shots will go in sometimes I I didn't completely fault him on that I mean pass below the goal line to kind of the top of the face-off circle a little bit of movement from him and some puck tracking required. He's a little late to pick it up. It goes five hole. It's not one I love, but Michigan's getting hemmed in there, and it just kind of felt like that was coming yeah. uh, over the last few minutes leading up to it. And it was kind of the time to tighten the belt a little bit and figure out how to get the game to the finish line because you had seven minutes left at that at that juncture. And 
they rebounded pretty well, and Ohio State didn't get a ton of looks after that. No, um, they did start to tally a few shots, and then uh, Sam Eskevich gets pulled down with just over five to go. Um, and that that was a big... I tweeted something like, you know, taking the two minutes off of the game is probably not quite on par, but, like, almost as valuable as getting a goal. Because... No, the goal's more valuable than the two minutes. Okay. Well, if I the, didn't say they were equal. If the two minutes <laughs> comes with 2.30 or three minutes to go, then I think you can make that case. But five minutes, I think the goal's definitely more valuable. Well, they get... The goal in this case, because I mean, this was one of probably Luke Hughes' better plays. I mean, it doesn't top the play that he made against Ohio State last year, where he goes coast to coast. But he is standing straight up with a guy in front, completely shakes him, gets over to the left, so the defense sort of starts shifting to his side, passes back across to the right, hits McGroarty right on the dot, who one times a shot that beats Dobish back to that post, and you know that effectively ends the game there on that play but it's you know that's sort of you can that's the upside of Hughes I mean you love his puck rushing ability you love his speed but if he can make a guy miss McCarr style and then hit an open guy with a with a a pass like that to a shooter I mean that's as dangerous a look as you're going to get on a power play uh yeah I mean that was uh an example of what great passers do in terms of uh drawing in uh the other team sucking them in towards you and then passing to the places that have then opened up on the ice as a result of the attention you've drawn and uh, sets up McGrady for a look and a a really good shot. And you got the goalie moving side to side. I mean, it's uh, pretty much how you draw it up. And and those are the kinds of plays we've been uh, really looking for, uh, for Hughes to make more of. So uh, definitely a welcome sight. Yeah. And that, like I said, pretty much ended the game. Not a whole lot. After that, Michigan hangs on. It's four to two. Uh, I think they missed an empty netter, but um, you know they get a split. You, you probably wanted a little bit more just because you're at home um, and you you kind of had a lot of splits and you're trying to get back into the race and not be six in the standings anymore. Three points in a weekend generally isn't going to get that done. Um, but given what we saw on Friday and just how completely flat and out everything they were. You know, to come back and play and to, you know, win a game that they probably deserve to win um, is a good step, I guess. I mean, the feeling out point is now done. Michigan has now played all the opponents. They've all played them two times, and now we get the, you know, the the second. Second uh, round. Second round of of all the teams, and we'll see what adjustments there are. All right, so... Let's take a look around the league, uh, or I should say we should look at all our old friends first. I, I put a sad face next to, next to Lindenwood because they didn't play again. and No, they've been on break. I, they've been on break for, like, since Thanksgiving, it feels like. I mean, I thought Michigan had a long layoff, and Lindenwood... Your schedule's a little different when you don't That's true. play in a conference. BU beat... UMass six to two, not particularly close. That was was over in the first period. I think it was four nothing BU, and then that was on like a Wednesday, I believe. And then they played Cornell on Saturday, on a pretty even game, uh, back and forth, one goal tie, one goal tie, and then they get a game. They winner. got a game winner with like three seconds. Three seconds, yeah, a buzzer was, beater. I was watching that, the highlight of it. I saw. I was about. I would say you were watching this live. I'm impressed that you could no, find. No, no, they they posted it online, and I came across my timeline. So, well, 
game winners in hockey at the, or buzzer beaters in hockey are not uh, not a common sight. So. Uh, not generally, but no. they're up to fifteen and six now on the on the season. Well, they're ahead of Michigan, I believe, in pairwise. I believe they're one spot ahead or one right you know, there. That was ultimately a good team to put on the schedule. Yeah, definitely helped the strength of schedule. Lake State uh, lost to Ferris 4-0 in a beatdown, and then they won 4-1. Uh, both games were relatively even, and each team just kind of got the goals on the day that they got them. Ferris is not bad this year. No. They've managed to get back to kind of mediocrity. They're, I think, second in the CCHA standing, second or third, and they're you know not going to make the tournament, but they're, I think, on the right side of the, the top 30 in pairwise. Lake Superior... Wow, are they bad. <laughs> so maybe I mean, they we... got the win on Saturday, fourth win of the season, but I mean they they have a case to be one of the three or four worst teams in college hockey this year, four eighteen and two. So I maybe mean, we put woof. maybe we put Ferris on the schedule next year. <laughs> um those would be fun. I mean I, I never complain about that. In state They beat MSU uh, in yeah, the they did. fake GLI. <laughs> Western GLI. Speaking of Western, Western Michigan beat North Dakota four to zero. They were the ones that kind of got the goals in this game. It was relatively even, but uh, beat beat North Dakota, and then uh, won seven to six in a goalies optional game. They came where, back from five two down. Yeah, to score four in a row just to give up a game tying goal, yep. so that they could get a game winning goal with just three minutes left. That's uh, you know, I said maybe this is a good matchup for Michigan. If you're a team that wants to score a lot of goals and is willing to give up goals, that feels like uh, Michigan will play you. And they played pretty well against Western the first time. And then the second game, they probably should have won in regulation, but blew multiple two-goal leads, couldn't quite nail it down, and had to win it in overtime. They North Dakota was starting Caleb Johnson uh, in that. He's now the third goalie North Dakota has used this season. None of them have done well. Didn't, didn't they go get Drew DeRitter? Yeah, Helliston has started 12 games with an 870. Drew DeRitter started 14 games with an 880. And now Caleb Johnson started in, uh, in the Saturday game, his first start of the season. Um, <laughs> well, that didn't go well. They have a team save percentage of 860-something. Trying to see that number. That is uh, low. Yeah, not good enough. I wonder if it's also just maybe their defense is not so good. Uh, we'd have to watch the games to know. I mean, they're 23rd in pairwise. They play in a good enough conference that they yeah. could make a late charge if they wanted to. But it, eh, I don't know. It might not be happening for them. It doesn't. I mean, when you're getting eight, yeah. <laughs> 860 or 870 goaltending. The team, it's definitely not happening for. Not on the schedule, but Minnesota Duluth. Oh, yeah, I saw they're, that. They're not just struggling. They're bad. They're, they're 36th down. in pairwise. They're lower than Wisconsin in pairwise. They're like in the Ivy well, they, territory. They got swept by Wisconsin. Correct. That's why they're lower. Like they're in the Ivy territory. Yikes. Where like your comps are like St. Lawrence. I wonder and what happened. Brown. Brown. Are you just naming colors? <laughs> Big red, green. But yeah, they got beat uh, six to one by Omaha on Saturday night. Are they any? I mean, Omaha's. Omaha's fine. Okay. They're, they're always like at the twenty to twenty-five in pairwise, but Duluth is now nine, twelve, and one on the season. Hmm. Not going to get it done. No. Well, I wonder what happened, because they'd been able to sustain pretty high level of success for the better part of a decade. Sometimes you have a down year, I guess. I suppose. I mean, their central problem is there's, they've scored 51 goals in 22 games. That's not a lot of goals. No. Uh, Michigan's last 
non-conference opponent slash old friend uh, Harvard beat Clarkson four to one. Um, they were definitely the better team on Friday, and then they just pounded St. Lawrence five zero. Uh, neither game overly I interesting. I believe that the tournament started today, which it doesn't. But if it did, I think it would be Michigan Harvard first round. I think they're the eight nine in pairwise when I looked this morning. So I was looking. And QPAC would be the one, right? Uh, Minnesota. Unless that's switched. Well, they would switch them. But okay. So Yeah, Michigan and Harvard are the 8-9. Minnesota's a 1, Quinnipiac 2, Penn State 3. So you've got two Big Ten teams on the 1 line, two on the 2 line. So you just move them around most likely yeah. to make sure that they don't overlap. The I was looking at this, um, and in the top 10 teams in pairwise, Michigan is obviously one of them. So there's only nine others, and they've played six of them. And I so I think Pretty nice. that, I think we were talking to somebody who knows a bit about these things, and and he was saying that Michigan's played the hardest schedule in college hockey. I think that's right. I there's a graph that's come around with strength of schedule ratings, and Michigan was one of the hardest when I saw it at the time. Uh, if the tournament also started today, there would be one, two, three, four teams from the state of Michigan in the tournament. Wow. Happy days are here again. Michigan Tech, Michigan State, Western, and Michigan would all be in the tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, those, I mean, Western's been good this year. They were obviously good last year. Um, Michigan uh, Tech, I guess, uh, is, is. Yeah, Tech's the 13th. Okay, so MSU they're. is 12th. Yeah, so they're both kind of. Western is 10th. So right on the bottom. It's tenuous, but. but yeah. Um, your Ferris is 29th. Pretty good year for hockey in the state of Michigan, except for one team. But uh, other thing to note, you know who else is on the bubble knocking on the door? UConn. The, well, they are. They're 19th. But okay. The Alaska Nanooks. Oh, the Nanooks. They're 20th in pairwise. It's always fun when Alaska makes the tournament. Our old friend Big Tex was doing a Twitter thread this weekend of what the path for Alaska to make the tournament is. It was pretty interesting. But <laughs> win a lot of hockey games. Win a lot of games. That's the recommendation. <laughs> or they don't have a very hard schedule either. So Can you sick that jet flying bear on everybody <laughs> and just have him destroy things? He's pretty good at that. Uh, the other note here, I sent you this. You never responded to it. But okay. um, we had Jeremy Swayman play Phoenix Copley like a week ago in the first ever All-Alaska <laughs> starting goalie matchup in the NHL. <laughs> I wasn't even sure what to say with that. <laughs> um. Uh, one last thing before we get to the Big Ten section is uh, Peter sent me an email that Strauss Mann was named like Player of the Week or was nominated for Player of the Week in the ECHL. Well, Thomas Bortolo the, was an eight. It was an All Star in the AHL. AHL, yeah. So nice week for them. Yeah, good, good for Mann. It's nice to see because you know I mean, he started his co- professional career in Sweden, had to work his way over, and is now may have may not had to do that for other reasons. Well, yeah. that's... <laughs> Different podcast, but all right. Um, Michigan State and Penn State played. Uh, Penn State held a lead for a while on Friday night. I believe this was in East Lansing. Yes. And they were up 2-0, and Michigan State got three goals in the in – the, in, or they scored two in five minutes just to get it to overtime, so they tied up. Interesting thing was Penn State's two-goal lead came both on five-on-three goals which you don't see a ton of uh, because usually if you score on a five on three goal, you then it's not five on three anymore, but somehow they had two of them. Michigan state gets two uh, before the end of the game and then 
they get the overtime winner to steal the second point. Um, I guess that's good for Michigan, uh, depending on how high you want Michigan to try to finish. Uh, obviously, they have to win a few more games. But Penn State, probably in a slightly better position than Michigan State. This is I'm a big fine. weekend for MSU. I mean, they, they got pounded over the kind of Christmas break yeah. where Michigan was off and we were off. Uh, they uh, they lost both games in GLI. They lost both games to Ohio State, and really neither were close. They had fallen basically to the cut line. This one gets them off the bubble temporarily. Um you know, it was just a good showing. They battled from behind in both games, uh, and they managed to come back and, and force overtimes and uh, get some big 10 points, but also get some pairwise points for that as well. Uh, and they won the overtime in the first one. And didn't yeah. the second one go to a shootout? Yeah, and they won the shootout. Yeah, um, which that doesn't mean there as much. But one thing interesting about this, the Friday night box score, Cole Krieger got a 10-minute misconduct for abuse of officials. <laughs> didn't he later get the game winner? Uh, Yes. <laughs> So, quite a night for <laughs> Cole, I guess. Uh, did he just, like, yell at the officials, I suppose? Maybe he pushed a trainer like that Packers guy. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. So, a nice weekend for Michigan State. Um, doesn't completely kill Penn State. If you get two points on the road, it's not the worst thing. Um, no one's probably I catching mean, Minnesota anyway. I mean, Penn State's third in pairwise, so they're into the tournament. Yeah. And they're probably not catching Minnesota, so they don't really have any stakes. Uh, Notre Dame beat Minnesota in a shootout, three to two, in South Bend on on Friday. Um, they're they're probably a little frustrated with that because they gave up the game tying goal with I believe about twenty twenty five seconds left uh, to otherwise, you know, take all three points. Um, but they still get two out of three against Minnesota, which is very Notre Dame, right? You, they always get about half the points, especially against teams that are better than them. Um, Minnesota kind of out-chanced and outshot the Irish, but the Irish were the team that got the goals until that end. They've, to been, tie they've been getting outshot and outchanced all year. Yep, and then the role, roles kind of reversed a little bit on Saturday where they actually got all the numbers, but Minnesota got an even-strength power play and shorthanded goal to win 3-0. Uh, close with a gets a shutout. Um, hey, if he's going to get a shutout, better this past weekend than the weekend upcoming, yeah? Yeah, there were two game misconducts in that Saturday yes. game. One yeah. hit from behind and one contact <laughs> to the head, one on each team. I mean, I, you'd have to kind of... Yeah, I mean, you have to break it down a little bit because... Also, one of them was, like, really late in the game, You'd though. also have to look about what the even strength numbers were because, you know, in a game like that, you have score effects, and Minnesota's trying to prevent a lead when you talk about the scoring chances and sure. such. But... Um, no, I mean, Minnesota, you know, they're Minnesota. And uh, we're going to get a look at them this weekend. One last note before we get to the Minnesota preview. Wisconsin got blasted by the USN by USA, <laughs> USNTDP 6-1. to one. So as, Not, you, as you would comment, bad. They are, they are really uh, on a roll in terms of losing exhibitions this year. <laughs> Is so. that a thing? So, yeah. <laughs> if, if the game counts, they're better. <laughs> I just have to re respect it. Right. Um, you know, Minnesota, looking at them, uh, I mean, they're just a really good team. Well, They've got... The um, first thing we need to address is, like, it's going to be really hard to take a lot of what we saw the first time. Just because... Well, we didn't, they didn't really play the first time. Right. I mean, that's sort of like... You, you treat that like the COVID season, right? In, Basically. In football. Um. You know, Justin Close, 925, uh, 
been pretty good overall. You know, he has good defense in front of him. They limit chances, stuff like that. You've got that super veteran decor. I mean, you know, for them, this is kind of their... Uh, this season is a lot like their... Uh, what Michigan football in 2023 might be in terms of, you know, they got all these veteran players back, especially Run it back. on the defense, and this is their all-in year, right? This is the year where, you know, they're trading a first-round pick at the deadline uh, to pick up a, some big-time help, that kind of that kind of thing. And uh, because you look at it, right, Logan Cooley, 28 points, 23 games, probably gone after the season. I mean, he's I mean, a top, top three, three pick. pick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, probably this is probably it for him. Nice, definitely it for him. Most I mean, we likely. didn't know that he would come back this year. Nope, he came back to to win a national title. Snuggerud might stay a second year, but he's also having a great season. Twelve goals in twenty four games, twenty nine points to lead the team. I mean, then you've got uh, he's a first round, late first. Yeah, he really has overperformed his draft slot. Really has had a great season. But then you got Lacombe, you've got uh, Brock Faber, Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson. I mean, just a lot of of senior or junior defensemen that are, are just really good players. Um, well, when we when we kind of previewed them before... And, this and started, Close is a senior, by the way. I mean, this yeah. is a very veteran team, and they are really all in to, to win it. I mean, they're they're first in pair-wise, yep. and it's... I don't... I mean, Quinnipiac, I think, has only lost once, so maybe there's some volatility there. But, I mean, Minnesota, I think we've seen enough that they're kind of rampaging through a pretty good league. Um, they're probably the best team in the country they're 14th in Corsi, and then their special teams are pretty good they're not like out of this world but you know 25 percent of the power play i take that almost every day of the week and 81 percent on the pk which is you know again not like elite ohio state level but it's it's good well they're 10 2 and 1 in their last 13 games they were 7 and 4 when they lost to penn state and since then they have an overtime loss to arizona state they have a regulation loss to St. Cloud, and then they have the tie-slash-shootout loss to Notre Dame. I mean, this is a team that yeah. has really been playing well recently. Um, so it'll be interesting uh, to see them see them play Michigan. And, the you know, you already touched on this, but the thing that, you know, we were talking about last year and then earlier this year was that, you know, they look great across the board, but will not having an elite goaltender kind of come back to bite him will that be their Achilles heel but it hasn't really so far and you know you touched on his numbers 1.97 GAA 925 save percentage um you know we didn't see him the first time you know they played their second and third goalies in that series and both teams were not at full strength in that series but Michigan has done well in Minneapolis over the last four or five six years uh for the longest time it was getting a point out of in that building was borderline impossible. And now it's kind of become, I don't know, more comfortable. It's going to be Olympic ice. Yep. Um, which always kind of makes it fun. You know, in Michigan's defense, you know, again, that Friday game sort of notwithstanding in their last probably five, six, seven games has been better. And, you know, if they can get a decent performance out of Portillo, um, that second line's coming along. You know, I don't by any means expect a sweep or think that'll happen. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to be shocked if Michigan can get one of the games. You know, they've, they've played Minnesota tough when they have actually had a team that they've been able to field against them. Yep. Uh, I expect these to be competitive games, and uh, I expect Michigan to win one of them. Yeah. 
uh, 8 o'clock, I believe, Eastern Time, both nights. I believe the first game, Friday night, is on Valley Sports Detroit, and Saturday is on BTN, I think. So both games will be televised, so no more streaming, or at least not next weekend. Always good. Uh, you mentioned before the podcast that you wanted to meant talk a little bit of NHL. Uh, do you have a few bullet points you want to go over? Well, we're at the halfway point. I wanted to get on the podcast that uh, Maddie Beniers has been named an all-star from hey. <clears throat> the Seattle Kraken. So uh, he was first. He's first on your Calder ballot, right? Uh, yep, I had him first on my Calder ballot the midseason. So uh, he's having a very nice year, and Kraken just became the first team ever in NBA or NHL history to sweep a seven-game road trip. <laughs> There's a stat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. Including that wild game over the, the Blackhawks their last time out. I mean, the Kraken, they've been one of the great stories of the season, and I've been very happy for uh, Beniers to play such a big role in that. He's got 36 points in 42 games to lead the team. 17 goals as well. Well, we were a little critical of the Kraken um, after their expansion draft, and then even a little bit in their first year of how are they building this team and does this make any sense, and they kind of didn't go all in to trade draft picks and they didn't go all in to get the best players. They kind of mixed it and um, with not great results last year, but that now they did make a couple of good signings and a couple of nice deals in the offseason, but it looks like, Maybe they knew what they were doing after all. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> well, they're, they're it looks initial, like you're going to make the playoffs. Well, their initial plan was to play really nasty low event games. Like that was the plan when they drafted that team. Yeah. And they spent all this money on goaltending. They went all in on trying to win these low event games. They played a really low event style. It it was fine. I mean, they. The the underlying numbers were were acceptable. Ah, it, it they just didn't get the goaltending to go with it, and the style they played was just such a graveyard offensively that they just couldn't overcome that really bad goaltending. And I thought it was interesting then when they have that first bad season, it seemed like there was an obvious runway to just tank, uh, especially in this year where we are seeing tanking at unprecedented levels in recent years, hearkening back to the fourteen fifteen tank for McDavid sweepstakes. Um, that they would just throw their hat in that ring. But uh, there was talk kind of before the season, like there were stories being written of like, well, the Kraken aren't good this year. Like Seattle just won't care. Like they're losing the market already. One season in and the fans is don't that, care anymore. Is that a thing? Like, and I, I think there's something to be said for succeeding as an expansion team when you are good right out of the gate and you grab the fans right in. That's how you build a fan base. And I, so I think, I think ownership wanted to see them and they had all this cap space. And so then... They kind of turned it around, and they decided, okay, we're not playing low-event games. We're going to ramp up our forechecking, and we're going to play really high-event games, and we're going to spend a lot of money to try and, and bring in some players. And so in the offseason, they added three top six forwards. Uh, in Burakovsky, they signed Bjorkstrand. They got in one of the great heists of the offseason, and then they promoted Matty Veneers full-time. And so now all of a sudden, you add uh, right there at the midway point of the season, that's... 36 goals you added between those three players. and Well, Shane Wright can't even... They're not using him this year. He'll be around next year. Yeah. And then they pick up Ellie Tolvanen off the waiver wire like two weeks ago. Nashville just says, we're done with you. And he comes in, he's got five goals in eight games. And they're scoring 3.76 goals per game. It's one of the top marks in the league. And the craziest thing about it is they're 26-12-4. 
very good record. And they have their two goaltenders, one has an 885 and one has an 895. And that's the thing about this team is that everyone, you know, the if the Kraken were good this year, a lot of people would have assumed it was a bounce back from Grubauer. But they've still gotten bad goaltending. Yeah. And they're right now cruising into the playoff picture. So it's really just a cool story, and I'm very happy for them. Well, it looks like they're going to make the playoffs, and you know if you're if you're going to give up goals, you might as well score some too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's been fun. Um, otherwise, I mean the the real story of the season, I think, to this point in the league is that scoring remains very very high. Because um, we weren't sure if that would continue after last year. Yeah, we we weren't entirely sure. I mean, it's been trending up for a while, but uh, right now, I think it's close to what the. Uh, you know, official mark of, of the high point of scoring in, in recent years is you've got two players in particular that look like they're just going to smash straight through 60 goals. Tage Thompson still has a shot at it, but he's hasn't scored a goal in four games. So can't do that if you want to score 60. Um, but McDavid, <laughs> Which I'm sure is on his list. But McDavid is up to uh, 37 goals in 45 games. Seems okay. David Pasternak, as of this taping, just scored a goal. He's up to 34. He's got a pretty good name. In 43 games. So those two guys look like they're going to smash through this barrier that only just had been breached uh, recently last year by uh, Austin Matthews. And then, you know, points. McDavid's on pace for over 150. He's already guaranteed himself a point-per-game season with 83 points. Um <laughs> Can you get 150 points in a season and also miss the playoffs? Possible. <laughs> I mean, they've they've won their last few games, so now they're back in the playoff picture. But uh, it's it's tenuous, and they're probably going to have to make some moves to to cement it um, to get more bad defensemen. And then last year, uh, the other note is uh, Eric Carlson on pace for well over 100 points last year. Roman Yossi posted the highest. Point total for a defenseman in 30 years. Looks like Carlson is on pace to smash through that, which is very cool for everybody that was a that was a fan of him. So that, there's just a lot of good stories around the league. Also, uh, the Bruins uh, at 68 points through 41 games. Finally lost at home. They finally lost at home, but now they're up to 70 and 42. They're winning right now comfortably to potentially go to 72 points in 43 games. That's wild. Absolutely crazy. I mean, it's it's not even like, like all star teams probably can't even really do that, right? Like this is just a, a heater that you're on that you just sort of have to enjoy the ride. You enjoy it because unfor oh, Pasternak scored again. He's now up to thirty five. Um, no, I mean it's it's not a good thing for them though, and that's the thing I you know if I was a Boston fan, I'd be very weary about is the fact that. In the last 25 years of what the history in the NHL is, when you get that many points around your season, it's not great for your playoffs. Because at some point, you generally just it, don't it, get... The playoff yeah. success versus regular season success are like two sliders, right? And if you crank up the regular season success to 100, then all of a sudden the playoff slider... is probably not at 100. ...gets knocked down some. And so no. you have, you know, the Panthers last year, 123 or 24 points. They lost in the second round after being... On the ropes in the first round, you had the Lightning in 2019 with 128. They lose uh, in the first round in a stunning sweep. Uh, the Capitals 2017 had 121 or 122. They lost in the second round and were in a testy series in the first round. Um, 
the 06 Red Wings lose in the first round to Edmonton. The 96 Red Wings lose in the sec- or third round to Colorado. I mean, it's it's if you hit 120 points, historically, it has not been a good thing for your for your playoff hopes. So that's something that's interesting uh, to monitor at this point in time. How many teams in the East that miss the playoffs, so they, they wouldn't be in the top eight, would make it in the West? If or no, 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 not right now. Well, how many do you think will be the case? So you're going to have one of like the Penguins or Islanders miss. Uh, they would make it in the West. Um, <sighs> Buffalo's really cooled off, um, but maybe they could in the West. They definitely fit in the Pacific Division. Um, <laughs> the Panthers have been starting to heat up a little bit recently, but Maybe if they got going in the second half, you could say them. I would say it'd probably be two, maybe two teams in the in the East could make it in the West. I mean, the bigger thing is not necessarily that the West doesn't have depth. They have a bunch of okay teams, but they just don't have the teams at the top that yeah. you really you don't buy Vegas feel great about. I mean, Vegas's goaltending has started to regress, kind of come back down. Um, I mean, Logan Thompson made the All Star game, and he's now down to a nine thirteen. Just hasn't been as sharp recently, and. They're still a really good team, and I think they'd probably be the favorite if the uh, the playoffs started today. But right now, I think there are probably five teams I would have higher on the cup chance list than any team in the West. Five from the East, at least. Um, yeah, probably. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, like the, the Jets have been a really good team, really surprising team. I've been very happy for them. But uh, they're still not a team I think is going to win the cup. I just don't think they have the roster. And But they you, could win the West. They could definitely win the West, and if they do win the Cup, it would probably be that, uh, you know, Connor Hellebuck just has a really great playoffs, and um, he's totally capable of doing that because he's a great goalie. And the Stars I like as a team with a lot of elite players, but their depth is, is not really there. In the Wild, I just don't trust the goaltending. I don't think they have the scoring depth. Seattle, I mean, I if they traded for a really good goaltender, if the Islanders moved Varlamov, which they should, and the Kraken made that move, that's a team I could see actually being a cup contender because they've, well, they've got the scoring and they've got, you know, the Kraken are a team that they don't have the stars and scrubs model that a lot of teams have. They just have a lot of good players, a lot of well, $5 million players that can play. And so they can roll four lines. They can roll three defensive pairs. And not a lot of teams can do that because they just don't have the salary cap allocation. They're also going to have the draft capital to go get, to get a guy whatever if they, they want to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kings, I don't trust the goaltending. Flames... Markstrom's been bad, and that's really hurt their team. They just also don't have the – I mean, Huberto's kind of flopped there. They're not scoring enough goals. And then Edmonton is Edmonton. I mean, it's it's the, the West, I just don't – the West will be fascinating playoffs because I just don't think it's the same. It's a little bit like what the East was last year where you had a bunch of great matchups. But yeah, not I mean, at, like, maybe the elite level, but you and just And, I have... mean, the East, you know, I mean, the, you look at the playoff matchups. I mean, right now it would be Devils-Rangers, I think, would be a great series. I mean, the Rangers – I don't think are as great of a team as the Devils necessarily, but they have some great players in a lot of positions, and that counts well, and for a lot, and they have a goalie. Uh, I mean, Maple Leafs Lightning, that'd be a matchup of two of the top five teams and, and would be a great series. And then you get Bruins and Hurricanes, two really great teams, and they would, uh, by points percentage, be playing uh, Capitals and Penguins, who are not crazy great teams at the moment, but have these all-time legends yeah, and have guys that the NHL is... Well, and fans how, will always remember, so what, that's fun. How many goals does Ovechkin have this year? I think he's up to 29. It's insane. It seems like a lot. It's 
And he knows 30. 30 and 45. I mean, what? <laughs> what else do you need to say? There's... <laughs> It's there's the stat out there that was like if you want to catch Gretzky's goals record, you have to basically score 45 goals a year for 20 years. Sounds crazy. Yeah, and Ovechkin's gonna do it. Well, that's been his mission. It seems like <laughs> for the majority of his career. I mean, that's just it's just crazy. I mean that 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 is what it requires to do it. And unless he gets hurt, he's gonna do it. I mean, there's just he doesn't have a very big injury history, does he? No, which is the crazy part about it, because he's always been a very physical player. I mean, he loves to hit. He, yeah. he there's just never been a player like him. I mean, there never in. You have guys who have had peaks where they scored a ton of goals, but you know, for various reasons, Burray and Bossy and Cam Neely and guys like that all burned out injury wise, and then you had other guys who were great, great goal scorers at their peak, and then they just kind of stopped scoring goals after a while like Gretzky did. But a guy to basically have Bossy's career in the modern era, but instead of doing it for 11 years, doing it for 20, is there's no parallel. And uh, Mere mortals. <laughs> it's wild stuff, but honestly, that's why I do actually buy the the NHL marketing this year, if you've seen those commercials where it's basically like there's been no better time to watch the NHL, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, the, the the amount of really great players, great teams, uh, higher scoring games, games that are fun to watch, a lot of speed, a lot of skill. I mean, it's uh, I've watched a lot of eras of NHL hockey, and uh, in my opinion, this is as good as it gets. So, uh, you know, watch it while you can. Sounds like good advice. Uh, also, Michigan this weekend to Minnesota, Friday and Saturday at 8. Uh, big games for them. Like you said, you think you'll, they'll get one. Uh, if they get two, could really turn their season around. So uh, tune in this weekend and see what happens. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Michigan Hockey Cast 5.12 for Alex Strand, David Nasternak. Come back next week for our new episode because hopefully you're back in the routine of listening to these every week. Every week.